Digital is the future, and we are that future. Touch HD. Well, welcome to Touch HD, and of course to A Toast with Carrie. Um, as always, at the end of every year, when we're sort of winding down and getting ready for Christmas, I rope in one of my dear friends, Jeremy Sampson, and I've done exactly the same this year, and he's in the studio with me today to chat about the world of wine in 2019, what we liked, what we didn't like, what we're going to drink on Christmas Day, what we're going to tell you you should be drinking on Christmas Day, and what we think the outlook is for the wine industry in South Africa for 2020. So, Jim, hi, and welcome to A Toast with Carrie. Always good to be with you, and thank you. And How long have we got? You're going to cover the whole state no, of the well, nation. No, we're just, we just <laughs> doing, it's just you and I today. So we are dedicating one whole podcast to just you and I and our thoughts on what went down, because it's quite an important it's quite an important podcast, this, because it, it prepares people for next year. It gives them hope, hopefully, for Christmas and what to drink over the holidays. And it just helps to put things in perspective. I think the wine industry has has battled a little bit during 2019, don't you think? Well, I think so. You know, we had those, what, four or five years of drought, which mm. have affected volumes, mm. uh, the economy. And I notice more and more people seem to be paying attention to hard currency countries, like especially the States. Yeah. Well, you know, I think also sitting as we do right here and now, looking out over a Santon where all we can hear is the humming of generators, um, it has to have a big, big, big knock on when it comes to the economy and the money that's getting turned around within the economy. The little, the little knock on effects that I see all over um, Johannesburg and South Africa, just trying to be part of running a little liquor business in, in the country. It's enormous. Yeah. Um, as I said to you earlier, you just take a, take a look at the cost of diesel to run your generators. Nobody mm. thinks about that. Mm. It's jolly expensive when you're still being charged by Eskom mm. for power that you don't have. Yeah. You're still being charged every month for the usage, you know, for the odd day or here. here or the, in addition to that, you're running generators that need diesel, which costs a huge amount of money. So that's just one stupid little instance. But it's so important, as you say, that money's been siphoned out of mm. your income yep. um, and your profitability, and yep. therefore SARS is, you know, I know SARS is complaining they're not getting enough money. Well, part of the reason is because of our money's being deflected into other areas. Well, exactly. I mean, I don't feel like paying tax this year. I just do not feel like paying my tax this year. Mm -hmm. If you consider, and I think that when you look at big companies this morning on the news, um, Impala Platts closing down two mines, that is two, three, four thousand jobs that are on the line. People just cannot afford to run businesses in the current climate. They just cannot. No, the country is in recession. It doesn't Big matter time. what anyone says. Mm -hmm. And here we have the run-up to Christmas yep. where lots of people are scrambling to finish off, to deliver, to make orders, create things, close things off for the year. Mm -hmm. And we're being stymied totally. And to be perfectly honest, if I hadn't had to have paid all that money out in diesel to run the businesses this year, possibly my staff might have got a bonus. Well, you think <laughs> you know? uh, if you're spending two million on diesel, how much of that would have stayed in the business? Well, all of it. Mm. You know, the fact that then mm. you've got bonuses you can pay, yeah. you're paying taxes, you can invest for the future and the economy gets stronger. Exactly. Whereas the country is at the moment. You know, in free fall. 
We're in free fall. In free fall. So extend that to our wine industry, the uh, industry that we're busy talking about. Harvest time is imminent. Harvest time starts earlier and earlier every year with global warming, whatever the case may be. Harvest is going to start at the beginning of February. We have basically got that being the case. We've got eight weeks maybe to get this power story correct because the farmers desperately need power during harvest time. Mm. They work 24-7 round the clock, picking, crushing, pressing, putting into tank for fermentation. You need electricity for all of that. And timing is totally, utterly critical. crucial. Critical. So we've got eight weeks. If we don't do that, we're going to have yet another thwarted harvest. And we're just talking wine, mm. and then you talk the whole agricultural sector, how they need things. Mm. You've mentioned already the mines as well, mm. mines closing down. How can you send miners underground when there's no electricity? The next thing, thousands of miners are trapped underground, the mm. lifts don't work, the this don't... The uncertainty is just too great. Mm. It's too dangerous. And then this is before we get to the critical services like medical, yep. Medicare, and people who are reliant on things. Mm. So I'm afraid we have a total, utter disaster at the moment. Mm. We always said, you know, I can remember speaking to somebody in around about June this year, and I won't mention his name, but he was from a political party, and he was in my shop, and he said to me, Carrie, mark my words, by December, the lights will be off. And indeed they are. Well... That's interesting because what he said has come to pass. Mm. Whereas most politicians tell you it'll be all right, it'll be okay. <laughs> They're coming back from overseas trips to talk to us. Yes. Well, we don't want people to talk to us anymore. We, we want, want them action. to do something. Yeah. And you no, know, start with ripping out all the corrupt side of things because yeah. that to me is one of the disappointments of the last year. We mm. know about corruption. Books have been written Nothing's about corrupt people about and nothing has happened. No. So they're still in place. Not a single conviction. Mm. Not a single conviction. However, that's enough doom and gloom. It's going to be <laughs> Christmas time. Cheers. It's about to be Christmas time. <laughs> what did you drink this year? What sticks out in your head as bottles of wine that you would like to recommend to the listeners? My absolute standout bottle of wine which um, I managed to enjoy only a few weeks ago was a Merlust Rubicon Really? 2005 Oh really yeah and it was absolutely like velvet Was it? It, it really was very very special Yeah. Um, and you know it puts the rest of the wines perhaps I'm drinking into perspective. Mm. I think as we know at the moment South African wines perhaps have never been better. Um, they're fantastic you know, across the board. Yes as you mentioned earlier about the drought whilst the yields are much lower the intensity of fruit is much higher in drought periods. And I think the wine guys are having to work harder yeah. and it shows. They're not yeah. lazy. They can't afford to be lazy. No lazy But giving vintages. that attention to detail. Some of the wines coming out are absolutely superb. They the are. sad thing is now, like a lot of good things that are being produced locally, they're being exported. Well, exports are high on everybody's agenda because it's much better at this stage of the game, sadly for the, for the country, to earn money outside of South Africa and hopefully even keep it outside of South Africa and pay taxes on it, I'm sure, whilst it's outside of South Africa, but not bring it back because you just can't afford, you know, if you can have foreign currency, gosh, that's first price for everybody, isn't it? But it is interesting as well when you hear of South Africans who are setting up overseas. You know, you have Jordan in Sussex. Yes. Uh, is it Mazel? Um, and then you have... Um, 
No, um, the Hamilton Russells are doing things that they're not buying land as they were quick to... David Olive, Nivot, Olive was yep. telling me, no, we're not buying, but they're producing wine yeah. over there. David Nivot has got um, a joint venture from Cedarburg. He's got a joint venture in Chile and Argentina. Oh, I met that gentleman a yes. couple of years ago. Fantastic. Yes, they're making fab. They've got, yeah. a, they've got a, a wine called Glup. <laughs> Typical David, you know, it's called glup. It's just like a big glup of gorgeous. I think it's a cinso or a grenache or something that they brought out. It's absolutely delicious, and a chenin blanc from from Argentina. So yes, I think that there are a lot of South Africans who are looking upwards and outwards to to um, move their skills and, and arts and crafts outside of the country because they need to earn foreign currency. I think mm. also they get paid so much more. Um, for the wines, if you consider that you could sell a bottle of wine here for 80 to 120 rand a bottle, um, all you really have to do is sell it for seven or eight pounds in London, and you're already getting a lot more than that, aren't you? Well, I, I was shocked being in London at the end of October, you know, looking in restaurants at the wine list, is there any South African wine? And then doing a quick calculation times 20, <laughs> divide by 20 and see yep. what's going on. Exactly. And no, some of the wines, just the entry level of a reasonable bottle of wine, is starting at 40 or 50 pounds. What? 40 or 50 pounds. God. Well, my dear, when you go to Hester Blumenthal. <laughs> yes, well, I'm going to say go and lunch at the Fat Duck. That's what you get. I um, I think that there are a lot of people who are looking to export, and I think that the rush to China has sort of slowed down a little bit because there have been so many failed exports whilst they're buying huge amounts of bulk wine in China. I don't think that there's too much in the way of quality stuff going going sort of eastwards. And the Australians are, are that much closer. Mm. They have an advantage. Mm. And I'm hearing figures like 25 or 30 Australian estates are now owned by the Chinese, yep. who often allow the Australians to keep running them. Yes. But during their drought there as well, a lot of them got into financial difficulties. Yes. So the Chinese have moved in to help them survive and say, you carry on running it, mm. but no, we now own you. We own it. But that opens up the export market, of course. Yes. Now, I think that a lot of the farmers that I've spoken to during the course of the year have looked westwards and they're looking to America for exports. And of course, America is an equally good market because you only need to sell your wine to one state. You get your wine listed in Texas and they'll buy everything you make. You know, it's it's big. It's We're talking huge. about huge populations the, and wine drinking population yes, as well. The numbers there are boggling. Yeah. That's where around the world, you know, as you know, working with brand finance in London, mm -hmm. we had the rankings of the fastest growing brands. And of the top 100, 39 come from America, really? but 39 come from China. Good heavens. And, and, uh, and this is where you have the population. I didn't think they made brands. I thought they just copied them. <laughs> not anymore. <laughs> no, we used to make that joke about the Japanese perhaps 30 years ago, but not anymore. They're creating their own brands, mm. and they're very, very palatable. Mm. You know, reading Jancis Robinson talking about the wines that are coming along as well. Mm. And in fact, wine, as you know, is being produced all around the world more and more. Do you know that I think that there's a company in, in China called the Great Wall Wine Company, and they make enough wine at Great Wall Wine Company to actually feed the service, the, the, the um, demand or requirements in China. They don't need to import another single bottle. They make enough for their own consumption. But haven't you just identified one of perhaps the challenges of the South African industry? Mm. No one has volume. No. 
They're all little boutiques or small yes. amounts and mm. fantastic, yes. But mm. you need mass, you need scale, you need well, you size. You see, I think that's where the Australians are quite clever, if you think back a couple of years to what they did. And I keep on saying that somebody who's, who's inventive and ingenious and lots of money needs to do a similar project in South Africa where they developed a, a company called Southcore in Australia, which bought up all these flailing, um, semi-sinking wineries that were producing really good wine, but where the farmers were battling to make ends meet. Mm. And Southcore sort of bought all of it up, and they ended up with a great big corporate conglomerate that owned a lot. And, and as such, the wineries were cash flush again because they got given that. And, they, and in fact, it was a South African guy, I think, who went to run Southcore. There is a South African what guy. What was his name? And he's still there. He's still yes, there and yes. he's made such a big success yeah, of it. And we because need he was to a do... businessman. That's exactly what it But is. he understood wine and mm. he understood the need for a mass market. I think market. we spoke about him once before, I, I you think, know. I think you're yeah. right. But, you know, you look in this country at the wine estates that have been bought by the Americans um, in the last yes. 18 months. True. You know, um, and perhaps this is because they're looking to scale. You know, they bought Warwick last year mm. and uh, what is it? Eight Le Bonheur or Eight Cake. And yes. Norhook has been bought as well. And, yes. But I know Warwick and um, that was a San Francisco group. It was an American-based broking house of sorts yes. or, or hedge fund company and I, or and something like that. I think they're like putting that. it together you know, yeah. because it's their neighbours in, mm. in the geography there and the Tawar. Mm. So that way they're going to have greater mass. Interestingly enough, I was chatting to a guy from France. Um, he is an Iranian guy who lives in France, has bought a champagne vineyard in France, looking to make um, a pretty decent champagne but doesn't have enough grapes. And is now looking to buy or lease a Chardonnay vineyard in South Africa. And I don't know what the ramifications are. We need to have a look and see. I don't think that you're allowed to ship juice into Champagne to supplement your your numbers. But aren't you uncovering here now <laughs> the, the, the dark and uh, in the shadow side of what goes on sometimes in the wine industry. Because, when needs must. You know, is, mm. is it estate bottled? Where do the grapes come from? And one sees more and more, especially in the Western Cape, that you know whether it's someone like Takara is producing in Elgin and Stellenbosch. Yes. Uh, and a lot of them are now are producing in different areas. Yeah. And they identify that. Yeah. I've always said I'm absolutely cool with whatever goes down as long as they put it on the as long as they put it on the label. Well, I think we you just want to know where it comes from. You introduced me to Mark Kent's latest yes, range. Yes, phenologist. What did you think of it? Fantastic. And I, I wanted to put it. It is on my list as one of my finds of the year. And mm. yours? I I agree. It's on my list. And coming into your shop, I think you introduced me to a couple, and I've been back in subsequently and tried some of the others as well. Mm. I think it's a range of what six or seven wines. It's fantastic. It's Good value, value for money, yep. and it is typical of the area that the that the grape is grown in. It's clever. It's clever marketing, and it's nicely done, and it's correctly priced. So, guys, that's one of the wines on our list, Venologist, which I've mm -hmm. spoken to you about already on the station, um, and they make a Cab, a Merlot, Sauvignon Blanc, a Chenin, a Sauvignon Blanc, one of everything, and it's about 70 Rand a bottle. It's great you know, value for money. Great value for money, absolutely fantastic, and obviously within that stable, if you want to go up to what, you know, 
the main one is Buchenholzkluff, mm. uh, but then you have Chocolate Block, and it's all the same guys producing And in, in between that, there's Porcupine Ridge yep. and Wolf Trap. Yep. So they've been very, very clever. But he, of course, is an advertising man and a very clever one at that. Well, then you've he? got, you know, good yeah, old Reg Lascaris and yes. John Hunt yes. of TBWA fame. And yes. uh, they're partners and yeah. uh, this is where you need experts in the field again so, it's what you say it's I, i'm afraid so many man. people are farmers and no disrespect to them but this is where if you have a partner who's knowledgeable in other areas yes. it adds to the mix. your farm flies so i don't know if you tasted during the course of the year maras wines have Funny you tasted enough, the maras i did and i was very disappointed were you i love his grenache it's one of my favourite reds, and I thought that Maras Grenache could be quite nice with Christmas because it's quite spicy. So you could you could drink a glass of Maras Grenache with a Christmas pudding. But you're identifying as well the different cultivars that we have available. The Grenaches now yes. are getting stronger and stronger, Much. and again you have to keep exploring. Mm. Sometimes some of them I think one tastes a little bit too early, but they're getting better and better. Mm. Perhaps I got one of the old Marasses. Maybe have to, you did. I'll have to check. So I've had one. You've had one. I've had one. Your turn next. Who else did you like? Look, I like. The Darling range, yeah. uh, the KWB range is the, the classics there because mm. they're always you know, reliable, they're mm. drinkable. Yeah. And if you want to trade right up, go up to the Mentors range yeah. from KWB, which I think is fantastic. KWB never ceases to or never fails to please at competitions. It rakes in awards left, right and centre when all this is being done blindfolded. And as soon as anybody sees the KWV label, they think, ooh, script, maybe it's a horrible anti-apartheid fallout, sort of whatever. But that's our age, um, isn't it? <laughs> yes. Showing. But they do actually make fabulous wines. So KWV is a goodie. I loved the Erika Obermeyer wines. Have you tasted any of Erika's wines? No. She came to visit me at the shop and she, again, different cultivar, she has a wine called Flabbergast and it's a Cinso. Delicious, delicious. Do you remember the days when Chateau Libertas was made out of mm. largely Cinso? It's reminiscent of that. It's it's so infinitely drinkable. But you see, this is where, Kerry, I get jealous and grumpy of you <laughs> because you see so many things mm. that perhaps outside of the Western Cape, very, very few people see. Very few. And you know, on Twitter and that sort of thing, I often th see things mentioned and think, where can I get that? Mm. Or where can I see that? Mm. Or where could I try that? And you've just mentioned one here now well, that there's I one. don't know. I have listed it. It's Erica Obermeyer's Flabbergast, and it's Cinso. It's light, pretty, tinkly, very juicy fruit, pretty, pretty wine. Nice, um, nice red wine, palate weight for summer. And if when you, you know talk Sinsu, I, mean. I would try the Seriously Cool from Watercliffe. It's great. Fantastic as well. Great wine. And as you say, Sinso, mm. um, the Pinot Noirs from Newton Johnson. Grenache, all of like those. Yeah. Chill them a little bit mm. um, for summer drinking. Yep. In winter, you don't have to chill them. But in summertime, you can chill all of those varieties and have them a little bit cooler. Then I don't know if you got to taste any of the Restless River wines. No, and in fact, I've, only in the last few weeks I've become very aware of them. I think there was a relaunch of some There was sort. a relaunch this year in about August, September, and it was mind-boggling And where taste. does that come from? Hermanus. Oh, really? Yes. What, Hemelin Hart? Hemelin Hart. Yeah. And, and he is a really, he is a, also an advertising man, used to have an ad agency mm. of his own, 
and just decided that he was self-taught, has had no formal educate, winemaking education, and has just sort of quietly bashed away at being a winemaker. But that region, the Hamelin Art Valley, to me, is almost the best valley in the whole world it when it comes to is. wine. Yeah. Incredible, the range you have through there, from creation up at the top, and you come down by Hamilton Russell, yeah. Bouchard, Finlayson, and a lot more now. Yeah, no, there's a lot. There's a lot of farms springing up all over the Himalayana. So I love the Restless River. There's a Pinot Noir and a Chardonnay. They they're quite pricey, but they are absolutely beautiful. If mm. you really want to spoil yourself for Christmas, go out and buy yourself a bottle of his Chardonnay. One of his Pinot Noir, he makes two Pinot Noirs, I think. And One, you've got it in your shop. I have some in my shop. It's in very serious allocation, but there is some at Norman Goodfellas. So that was a goodie. What else is on your list? Well, if you want to really spoil yourself, um, and I was down at Rebecca Castile um, at the end of January, and going into the, the local wine shop there, which um, was full of things I'd virtually never seen. And, uh, of course, Moulinieu. Oh. Um, and if you really want to spoil yourself, I think what they're producing across the range, you know, what a, a magical couple they are. Aren't they And brilliant? the wines that they're producing seem to get better and better all the time. They are delicious. And, of course, they're, again, foreign investment from yes. our Mr. Singh. Yes, mm. and Mr. Singh seems to own now sort of uh, a, a, a precinct of Franschuk. <laughs> he basically owns Franschuk. <laughs> And a charming gentleman. I actually bumped into him. I was in one of the art galleries there, and he came in, and I recognized him. Uh, and I actually said to him, excuse me, aren't you? And he said, yes. <laughs> and he said, come and see my hotel. And next thing, he was offering us cappuccinos and all sorts of things. Oh, good. Absolutely charming. <laughs> I haven't met Mr. Singh, but he's certainly been nothing other than editive in Franchuk. Then I fell upon a little wine called Brookdale Shannon. Are you familiar with no, Brookdale now Shannon? You, now you've lost me. Brookdale Shannon is made by a girl called Kiara Scott in collaboration with Duncan Savage. Ah. And it is just delicious Shannon Blanc. You would love it. Something you must put in your shopping list. Brookdale and, Shannon. And again, you've got that. I've got that. Because when you mentioned Duncan Savage as well, you know, what he's doing since he left what Cape Point, um, incredible wines. Unbelievable wine. I, we I was, love Duncan. I was given a rather special bottle of wine during the course of the year by the Vice Rector of Stenbosch University which was called the Rector's Reserve. Oh, really? It was a pinotage. <laughs> uh, and when I was last down there a couple of weeks ago, I thought, well, you know, he gave me a lovely bottle of wine. What can I give him? And, you know, being the vice rector of Stellenbosch, you know, what do you buy a gentleman like that? In the end, I bought him a Duncan Savage. Yeah. No, you cannot go wrong. Duncan Savage is red, one of the nicest red wines that came out of South Africa this year. Then I thought if we were wanting to spoil ourselves just a teensy-weensy bit on Christmas Day, because it's always so nice if it's going to be a happy sunny day, um, this is this is if we have power to cook our Christmas lunches and dinners with. At least I've got the Weber, so uh, lots, yes, lots we of charcoal. Always, we and... put the turkey. In fact, that's what we need to be in the charcoal business at this sale, the gas business. Whispering Angel, just a huge upsurge in the sales of... Rosé from Provence. Have you also seen that? 
I've always enjoyed rosé, and I think it comes from my early days in London, where the first wine I can ever remember, and please don't cringe, everybody, Matthias Rosé. Um, yes, but, you oh, know, love it still. Fantastic. You love know, it still. And, and you know, going to a little restaurant next door to Terence Conran's first restaurant in Chelsea. Um, and that's what I started on. But yep. as you say, it used to be a bit sticky and sweet in South Africa. Now it's serious it's dry, and dry and gorgeous. And a gorgeous. lot of them are quite textured. They have some palate weight. They're and alcohol level is acceptable as well. Alcohol level's low. I love sort of... Light, pretty strawberry mm. juice, that's mm. what it is. And so, especially at lunchtime, to have mm. a couple of glasses, it doesn't kill you for the day. No. And it's refreshing. No. So I thought Whispering Angel, which is pretty and and just selling up an absolute storm in Johannesburg mm. all over the place. And you can buy them in big format as well. I think there's a so three and a five litre of Whispering oh, really? Angel in the store. So you're not selling cans of it? No, not yet. <laughs> <laughs> Bubblies, have you tasted Peter Ferreira's Blanc de Blanc, which is his own label? Well, when it's Peter Ferreira, you know it's going to be something rather special. And um, when you actually think at some of the personalities, you know, in some wine areas, the personalities seem to have disappeared. Whereas when it comes to Bubblies, there are lots of personalities yeah. still. And they're still producing. Yeah, they are. So that was my bubbly that I thought we'd put on the table for Christmas or for New Year because we're going to have to celebrate the New Year. And please, God, 2020 brings something Sternberg good. Sternberg or something like that. No, They make because, a fair brut. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. And no, what a, if, you, if you're down in the Western Cape and you want to visit places and you don't want to go across the Stellenbosch, go down to Steenburg because that whole, the water feature, the restaurant, Pretty. the tasting area mm. is gorgeous there. It's beautiful. What are you making for Christmas dinner? Where are you going to be, Jim? Well, we'll be in Johannesburg. Uh, we prefer not to go away and it's lovely and uh, quiet usually. It's going to be and, extremely uh, quiet. <laughs> I, I hope we, well, I hope we don't have the sound Just of the generator uh, generators sound. <laughs> and the smell of the wafting diesel. Yes, diesel. Yes. But uh, no, we'll be staying here and uh, no, Christmas Eve we tend to have uh, something and then uh, mother-in-law has to be visited uh, for lunch on uh, Christmas Day yes. and then Christmas night again we'll have some celebrations. So it's where the family can move in and out and that sort of thing. And, you know, they know we're at home so they'll be dropping in and we'll make well, sure there's plenty to drink at the same time. Plenty to drink. Choose some of those wines that I've recommended. Oh, the one that I did forget was Ghost Corner's Wild Ferment Sauvignon Blanc. I'm not a huge Sauvignon Blanc Which girl. Is but as again, it's David Nevot. David Nevot, and that's Cedarburg area. And Cedarburg, high up da in the mountains. What David is doing, and what a lovely character he no, is, gorgeous. the way he bubbles away. He's I full of mischief <laughs> and nonsense as well. I had him on this, on this station. He was talking to me about the beer that he's making. And he's got a beer called, one's called Bochum, and one is called Futsack. And when we were children, <laughs> there was an Afrikaans comic about... A baboon. I think it was a baboon, two baboons called Bochum and Futsack. And they went into the fields and stole all the farmers' mealies on a regular basis. And he, and this comic strip, Bochum and Futsack used to drive around in a red, in a red Pontiac. And David has gone and bought an old red Pontiac, which he's refurbished. And he calls it Bochum and Futsack, and he drives around the Cedarburg in that Pontiac. It was just hilarious. But you know Absolutely that hilarious. brands are about storytelling. Yeah. 
and you've just told a story yeah. about a brand. Yeah. And that's what it's so special. So I was given a, a bottle of Burr and Brit. Yes. And I don't know who made it. <laughs> and I sort of kept it on my shelf. I didn't know if someone was taking the mickey out of me. No. Uh, but then when I opened <laughs> it up and drank were... it, it was a very serious wine. Yeah. It was delightful. I'm trying to think who made Burr and Brit. It was... But again, this I, is where... I think it was the guy from Zorgfleet. I might be incorrect. I don't know. This is where I say, go exploring, find unusual things, mm. come and speak to you, because you've already mentioned a couple I've never heard of. Yes. And you know, the average person perhaps has their, their stock bottle that they open up for Christmas. Well, try something different, explore. Try something different. I think we've had such a hectic year of so, so much higgledy-piggledy, so much uncertainty, so much uncertainty ahead for 2020. Let's toast in the new year with something gorgeous and hope that it's all going to be a bit better. What do you think? Well, I know, you know, often at the end of a program like this, everyone says, be positive, give it an uplift. And, yes. and, and, and I totally agree. Mm. I'm not a, a half glass empty person. No. I always think it's got to be full. You know, Mark Coutifani, who today runs Anglo-American PLC, mm. but working with him in the past, if you want to wind him up, always talk about challenges. And he banged the table yeah. and said, there aren't challenges, there are opportunities. Good. So I think with what we're drinking, as you say, let's, uh, let's enjoy now let's wind up. Let's wind up the, the joie de vie. Let's buy something gorgeous that we and can afford. And it's so afford. affordable here compared with the rest yep, of the world. Exactly. Let's buy a couple of bottles of that. Let's cook up a storm, even if it has to be on the Weber. And try and say cheers to 2019 with something gorgeous in our glass and look forward to something fabulous for 2020. Be positive, absolutely. Jim, thanks again, always, for coming into the station thanks, to Karen. do this. Um, I can't remember how many years it's been going on for, but for a long time already. <laughs> so ha happy Christmas to you and yours. And um, to you, and I know you're down in the Midlands, so yes. I'm sure you're going to take uh, your car stocked up with all sorts stocked of lovely stuff. Stocked up with lovely stuff, my two puppies, and lots of nice things to drink and eat. And I'm going to read a thousand books and have a great big rest. So you're not going to be driving around when you're there, so you nope. don't have to worry about Ubering or anything Not like even that. vaguely. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Jim, very much. Thank you. Bye. Digital is the future, and we are that future. We are. Touch HD.